This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. As some of you may know by now that the journey into motherhood can be very fraught with a lot of complications, sometimes things that we might be able to expect, and then sometimes things we just don't expect. For a lot of people who have had difficult relationships with one or both parents, for a lot of people who have had difficult experiences growing up with one or both of their parents, the transition into parenthood can bring up a lot of those past experiences. And sometimes the way that it affects us as it plays out is surprising or sometimes even shocking. For a lot of people, very difficult. Our guest today, Jamie Martin, is going to be sharing her personal story of a very difficult childhood with her own mother who had a mental illness. She's going to share some of the dynamics that played out for her and her mother and how that shaped and impacted her own transition into parenthood. Jamie does talk about some sensitive topics today specifically of suicide. So for those of you who are feeling like you might not be able to listen in right now, just know that we'll be here when you're ready, as the topic of suicide can be very sensitive for some listeners. And since Jamie is a therapist specializing in perinatal mental health, she's really able to drop in some insight into her early experience and how that might have impacted her. Jamie lives in San, Jamie lives in San Diego with her husband and sensitive four-year-old son. After a career devoted to children and adults with emotional needs, she changed gears after the birth of her son. She found herself without support or knowledge of what she was experiencing. Once she learned about postpartum depression and anxiety, she became an advocate to women and served as a volunteer for PSI, and last year became perinatal mental health certified. She works with mothers in her private practice called Womanhood Counseling and supports women in their growth and discovery. Let's welcome Jamie. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for volunteering and being willing to come on and talk about your story. I think a lot of people uh, deal with very difficult transitions into parenthood, obviously, but 
don't know that their own past, how their own past is going to be showing up during this transition. So uh, you bringing this to light and talking to us about to and talking to us about your experience is extremely helpful. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I feel like now is a good time to have this topic because it seems to be happening a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So please do start wherever you'd like uh, with your story. Yeah, I think um, my story begins with my mom's because I think a lot of times, even with working with my clients, it's kind of generational. Her mom, so my mom was raised by a single mom, which back in the day is, I'm sure you can guess, was kind of very taboo. Mm -hmm. And she had three kids, or I'm sorry, four kids, all from different dads. And my mom really wanted to have a strong connection with her own mom, like the sense of attachment. And I'm sure her mom with four kids trying to feed, clothes, support them on a single mom salary was really, really difficult. And as a result, she just probably wasn't the mom that she could be. And along with that, my mom described her childhood as, you know, obviously there was an attachment there, but there was also a lot of physical and emotional abuse. I think my mom really obviously struggled with that. And at the age of 17, something in her junior year of high school, she discontinued her education to help financially support the family. Mm. And I think more than that, she really wanted her mom to kind of acknowledge her and see her. And that didn't happen. So a few years after high school, my mom got pregnant with her first child, my brother, And he, I think my mom, you know, like all most mothers, you're just so in love with your child. You are just, you know, overwhelmed with love and emotion. But of course, that love isn't as reciprocal as it's not going to float you in the way that you want it to. It's not going to fill your cup. So I think my mom also went to her mom and said, well, you know, look, I'm this really amazing mom. Like, look at me now. I'm, I'm capable of love and attachment and all this great stuff. But her mom still didn't acknowledge her and see her. And I think that's where my mom just kind of gave up. She wasn't going to get the love and, and need that she needed from her mom, this attachment. And, and as we know, as professionals in this field, working with postpartum, when you have your own kid, there's, there's something that really comes about where you need your mom, where that attachment, love, and you just yearn to have your mom to be there. And I think that really hit my mom even harder. And Child Protective Services was involved. I believe my brother was taken away, but my mom was able to be successful in her case plan. They were united, but my mom struggled with substance abuse and mental health issues and it was just a mess. And eight years later, she had me. And at some point, my brother got taken away for physical abuse. I remained in the home. There was a lot of different stepfathers and boyfriends. My mom just didn't really want a parent at that time. There was no attachment on her half for me. And it felt really, really hard. And of course, I was living the life that my mom had had Mm -hmm. with her mom, where I really wanted my mom to to acknowledge me and see me, to attach to me. There was just like this longing there. And my, my mom just, she was just incapable of it. There was just, she just wasn't able to do that because of her mental health. And I don't know if she had borderline personality disorder or she was bipolar. There was a lot of episodes of mania and severe, severe depression. There was lots of in and outs with child protective services, but I was never removed from the home. She, I think I want to say around 
there was like, I want to say early, early adolescence, she started having a lot of suicidal ideations, a lot of threats about suicide, but nothing came about it. And then older adolescence, there was more follow through mm. where I would witness it and would try to it witness your mom do, uh, do following through on suicide attempts. Yes. Wow. I would be there. It is. It was really intense. I was like the adult or not the adult, but acting as adults where I would witness it and then almost save her. There was never 911 calls because there was a lot of secrecy in homes like that. Oh, gosh. Right. Were you, were uh, you uh, kind of told either explicitly or, or not that, that you weren't allowed to or that you shouldn't reach out for help? Kind of. There was, when the CPS was around, there was a lot of like, we don't tell CPS is bad. So that was kind of engraved authority figures. For sure. Okay. And, you know, you'll get taken away or mom will get taken away. Mm -hmm. So So by this point, CPS had been involved multiple times um, in your home. mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it's you, uh, sorry, your older brother and you and are are there any other kids around by the time you're an adolescent no and my brother got permanently removed oh okay so it was just me my mom and my stepdad Mm -hmm. and my stepdad was a school teacher in a small town so he was very um like idolized almost Mm -hmm. because you know like firemen and school teachers and lawyers it's things that you want to grow up to be and we we didn't want to shame him or and he he was an alcoholic too, but a functioning one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it never really crossed my mind to call an ambulance or police for my mom because that would bring shame and highlight the dysfunction of the family. So I would just take care of her. Um, you find her, save her, kind of nurse her back to health um, to some extent? Yeah, and we would never really talk about it. Mm. To some extent, I would nurse her back to health, yeah, because it would just continue. Mm -hmm. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So she never said anything about it and you didn't so there's a there in the home there's just a lot of kind of just deal with it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah a lot of shame no talking mm-hmm. just kind of the way life is mm-hmm. right so that's that that was your home that was what you knew mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it was just ongoing and unpredictable and no follow-through and communication and resolving mm-hmm. um yeah Okay. It was so yeah that that's that's a lot i'm assuming it has some sort of impact on you mentally emotionally at that time but that that's a lot if if that's the environment you're growing up in and you don't know any different um it's you you it's amazing what you can get used to yeah yeah it i knew it wasn't normal but i also didn't know that it wasn't in this weird way. Mm-hmm. It was it was normal for us, and I assumed it wasn't normal for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it continued on like that. My mom never sought help. She, it, it, I didn't even know that there would be help out there. Mm. I didn't know what that would look like. And then we progressed into high school, and it kind of calmed down a little bit in high school. I'm not sure what changed. It was at least less frequent. I know for sure I was kind of done living in that environment. I was waiting for 18 to come along. I told my mom, I was like, I'm out. Like, this is done. Mm -hmm. And I left and she was like, I'll come with you. I'll, you know, leave stepdad. And I thought things would be a lot different. You know, I believed her. And there was lots of different times where she was going to get, you know, sober and and that never pans out. So I didn't have a lot of hope, but she came with me. She was sober for maybe like three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. She still had a lot of symptoms of mania and narcissism. Like she still, she still wasn't quite right. So I'm pretty sure a lot of that is trauma based, but um, she got a job one day, wanted to celebrate and started drinking again. And the suicidal ideation came back. There was no follow through, but there's been times where she would say she's going to leave and commit suicide. And yeah, I would just stay home and wait for her and she would come back and there was no communication about like what just happened. Mm. And yeah, I was adult. So I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Sure. Right. And I 
saw a therapist around that time and I never told my mom and I told the therapist, I was like, I can't do this, but I'm afraid if I leave, there'll be no one there for her. Like she'll have a follow, you know, she'll, she'll die by suicide and there won't be anybody there to help her or, and she was a really great therapist, but I was really surprised because she was like, you just have to go. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think you heard me. Like <laughs> my, my mom's going to die. <laughs> And she was like, but you have two choices, right? Like your life is with your mom and you're not doing well or you can go live your life. And I was like, oh. So I went to my mom and I was like, I will help you, but you need to have, you need to get better, like intervention, you know, like sort of an intervention basically. Mm -hmm. And she was just horrible to me. She said like really awful things. Like basically her life was the way it was because of me. Mm -hmm. And I laughed and she would find out where I lived and she would be drunk. And eventually my therapist is like, you just have to move far away. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. So I moved to San Francisco. And when I drove over the bridge, I just cry these huge tears. Cause I felt like for the first time in my life, like I would survive, like I was going to be okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It was really, really amazing. And San Francisco was really expensive, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, I did really well. I got a job and worked with kids who had, came from like, um, you know, violent homes with parents who were, you know, they were homeless and had substance abuse or mm -hmm. different things happening in their lives. And I loved it. I loved working with them. And eventually that work wasn't enough. So I became a child protective service worker, mm -hmm. got a master's and did that for a while. But before I did all that, I think I lived in San Francisco for maybe, maybe four months. And then I got a call and I knew, I knew what the call was. And, um, yeah, it was my friend who said, did your dad, I had a biological dad that I found out about him when I was 12. Hmm. Um, we were never very close, but my friend was like, did your, did your dad call you? And I said, no. And I knew why they would, you know, phone him and have him try to call me. And he had not. And I was like, just, just tell me, just tell me. And they're like, your mom had died. And I got in my car and I drove all the way back to the town that my mom was in. And I just felt like if I can get there on time, I can, you know, fix everything. Mm. Like all the other times that I did it. And, and that wasn't the case. <laughs> and it was just really hard. And then I thought, well, it was really weird because, you know, grief when you're someone you know dies by suicide, you know, obviously it's complicated. And I don't think we talk enough about how, wh how or what that looks like. And right. so I, I thought I can fix it. When that went away, I thought, well, she's just playing a trick on me. Like she would always threaten, but it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And at any moment, you know, I'm going to get this call like, haha, you know, I just like was playing the game that she always would play. And so I went through that for a really long time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such a trip. Mm -hmm. And then I went through a phase, and this takes forever. I'm like, I'm talking about it really fast, but it was like a really long time. Yeah, of course. And then I went through a phase where I was so relieved because mm -hmm. I didn't have to like worry about it anymore. Yeah, of course. And you can't tell anybody that you're relieved because mm -hmm. that's not what our culture does with us. Right. And I remember people would ask like, oh, you know, where's your mom? And, you know, do you have a mom? And I'm like, no, she's dead. And people would get so offended. 
because they're like, oh, no, you're supposed to say passed away. But my mom didn't pass away. Uh-huh. She died. She's been actively trying to die, and now she's dead. And I remember feeling like I always had to hold space for other people. Uh, yeah. That's um, so hard. Yeah. And I had to, like, do it correctly for other people and hold space when I just got to this place where I was, like, feeling relief finally. Like, I had come to terms with her being dead, and now I had to soften it for somehow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's just a it's a trip. And then you can't, yeah. And, and it brought up all these feelings of like shame and secrecy and all those things that I felt yeah. when I was a kid where I couldn't talk about it. And you're going through this like process and mourning and you, you want to have that, well, I forget the name of it, but you, you want people to bear witness on it. And there was no one there. Mm-hmm. And when she, when she died, I just went home. I had my brother sign paperwork. We cremated her, and that was that. So there was no, like, bearing witness for that either. Right. Um, also done kind of, like, silently or, or whatever without any anyone around you to support you in the process. Right. Exactly. Which, right, so to such a, a mirror to what you went through with her growing up. All of this was just done. You, you did so much to try and keep her alive, essentially. I mean, there's, there's just such a parallel there with all of the stuff you, you had to do for her and with her. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. So did anybody know what, what was going on? I, I think I told a couple colleagues about it. I was pretty new to San Francisco, so I didn't have a community yet. And also, you know, there was shame around it, so it wasn't something, you know, you know they knew she had died. And I think a couple people asked. Two colleagues asked how or why, mm-hmm. and then it's awkward because, right. yeah, it's weird. Right. So, uh, so I mean, all of this went. Uh, this went on for years. All of the things that you dealt with, um, your need and want, rightly so, want for attachment and connection, and then it's just over. Like you didn't, you didn't get what you needed um, or wanted. Uh, right. And then obviously, like the the grieving process is very complicated after this. After all that, the grief process, I saw a therapist and kind of, you know, work through how that felt and have a place, safe place to like process that. And because of my childhood and because of, you know, everything I'd gone to, I or gone through, I didn't want to have kids because <laughs> I felt like my childhood had been so draining and so taking care of other people in my life, but I just wanted to be selfish and enjoy myself. And I met my husband and, you know, I didn't go into all my child. Well, I went into some of my childhood, but like, I was like, yeah, I just, I don't want to have kids. I want to explore the world. I want to, you know, work my career and all that good stuff. And he shared the same ideas. And so, you know, we got married and we went to India and China and Japan and all these other crazy places. And then he, somewhere in our marriage, he's like, I'm grieving fatherhood. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, I was like, uh, but we talked about this. Um, and we saw a therapist and we decided to go see an OB who, you know, at that time, I think I was like 39. And she told me, you know, you probably are not going to be able to get pregnant without, you know, interventions and stuff. So you don't need to be on and have an IUD or anything. Cause it's just going to be really challenging and wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, quite a lot to, to say. Um, yeah. Okay. I was really, really happy because I was like, my body, my mind's we're all on board. This is awesome. You know, the stars are lined up. And my husband, of course, was really, really sad. And he's like, you're not going to do like, you know, IV, IVF. And I was like, oh, no, you know, this is so sad for us. <laughs> you know, but meanwhile, I'm like, this is, this is great news. <laughs> and I was like, that's true. That's just really too bad. <laughs> and the next month I got pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah. And I didn't think like the doctor had betrayed me or did something wrong. I just felt like my body betrayed me Mm. and I felt so bad. And it was a really rough pregnancy, you know, like morning sickness and heartburn and, you know, almost being 40 and the extra doctor visits. But, you know, the typical pregnancy stuff. But when I gave birth to my son and as soon as I put him on my stomach... And I had an epidural, so I was shaking, and I didn't realize that that was something that happened. Mm-hmm. I remember everybody in the room being super jazzed, and I was like, I don't know this kid. I'm going to drop him. I'm not going to be a good mom, and we'll never attach. Like, I cannot attach to anybody. And I was just, and I was like, everybody's going to know. He's not going to attach to me. And it was just like this. Now I recognize it, it as like obsessive thoughts, but, you know, obviously at the time I didn't. And it would not end. Yeah, it was awful. Oh, and right away, this is like your first, your first step into a motherhood where you know not just pregnancy, but baby's here. Yeah, it. Yeah, and I remember my husband. You know, like we were back in the room, and he was holding him. I looked over, and he was holding him, and he was so in love. And I was like, "Shit, mm-hmm. that's not me. <laughs> You're already attached, and mm-hmm. that's not how I feel at all." Mm-hmm. And, I'm going to have to fake it. And my son had a fever, so they took him to the NICU. And I instantly thought like, oh my God, it's because I took all the babies away from the court order when I was a CPS worker. And oh, shoot. This, yeah, because it's karma and I'm a bad person. And yeah, it was, yeah. And they're going to take my kid away. And somehow they know that this this isn't okay. I, yeah. So- did it feel like really high? In- I mean, looking back on it now, does it did it feel like really high anxiety? How it, would you describe what it felt like? It did, yeah. It felt like almost like paranoia, where I was like, like everybody would know, but I had to hide it. Like, oh, okay. like everybody was going to know this, yeah. and everybody knew that I did these horrible things to children, even though I was court ordered to do it because you know kids weren't safe and mm-hmm. the baby the babies were going into the NICU because they were substance induced mm-hmm. and had to to save their lives and mm-hmm. but in my mind it was like yeah like almost like a psychosis now that I say it out loud but um yeah and then I mean I remember you know so he was in the NICU and I think I woke up one night in the NICU and my milk came in and you know you're boobs are just huge. Mm -hmm. And that felt like going through puberty all over that body shaming. And, and I remember going to the nurses and being like, what's happening? (laughs) And what do I do? Mm -hmm. And they were just like, well, your your breast milk came in and you just feed your baby. And I was like, this is too much milk for him. And like, that's, that's not like, that's, that's, you know, that's not a realistic answer. And and I didn't know my body. And I felt like I was Mm -hmm. going through puberty again, that brought up childhood stuff. And, and, yeah. And I took him home. He was only there for a week, but I took him home and I felt like 
he, whenever I put him down and he would cry, I was like, oh, you know, he knows that I don't want to hold him or that I mm-hmm. can't, you know, that I just want to be like away from him for a minute and mm-hmm. he's never going to attach to me. And mm-hmm. I don't, it was just in, in nonstop and I couldn't sleep at night. I wasn't eating. Yeah. And I, I, I weighed like 135 ish and I went down to like 115, 10. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew something was wrong. So I went back to my OB and I was like, something's wrong. Like, I don't feel okay. And I also felt like I couldn't go into detail why I didn't, you know, the thoughts that I was having. Because mm-hmm. I felt like as an ex-CPS worker that they would take my baby away. <sighs> so, but she, she told me, like, you're not my patient no more. You know, you need to go to your general doctor who just ran a bunch of blood tests on me and told me I was fine. And I'm like, I weigh a lot less. <laughs> like, this is yeah. not normal. Like something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, long as you don't go under like 105, you're okay. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. Right. So they're just looking at numbers on a scale, but not the quality of your life. How you're yeah. feeling about it. So I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is not okay. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe it's, at that time, I, I think I had my LCSW, like I had been studying and passed, and I was like, maybe it's postpartum. So I see a therapist who, you know, sold herself as um, specializing in postpartum, and I saw her, and she was like, well, do you ever envision throwing your baby out the window? And I was like, no. And she's like, then it's not postpartum. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And she's like, babies cry and mommies get frustrated when they cry. And I was just like, oh my God. I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? And so I left, you know, she didn't feel like I needed any more sessions. And I was like, good, good. I'm glad you left. I left and I was like, okay. And then I started reading all these books and none of them felt, you know, perinatal books or postpartum books and none of them reflected what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. And then I found your podcast, ironically. Oh, yeah, and it was the one with you and Bertie, uh-huh. and I don't even know why it was that one, but like, and I remember you guys were talking about how like not every therapist is specialized that say they're specialized, and I was like, oh, so maybe she doesn't know. Yeah. Maybe I do have it, and I think you or Bertie said something about like, you know, a lot of times when moms become moms, their trauma comes back, and being a mom, you're the need for your own mom is really like powerful. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, that this all this attachment stuff is coming out for me. Yeah. And I just started crying and I was like, this is what's happening to me. Oh gosh. I'm so glad to have been part of the discovery of this for you, but you're, yeah, you're right. Um, no one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So the amount of relief that happens just from knowing that it's like you're not crazy, that this there's there's a reason for it. I mean, you went searching for it and you're right. It's not specifically talked about all the time in all of the, the, the perinatal books, but oh my gosh, it is so important. All of your early right. attachment stuff is important. And if it's not showing up for you, it, you know, maybe there's, there's something else going on. It's, it's not for everybody all the time, but. Right. So, so you, you figured this out and and then what happened? So I started finding out as much information as I could about the attachment stuff. I started looking about my mom and how like, just, just kind of remembering all my old therapist and looking about my, um, like just realizing that my mom's stuff was her stuff. And that was part of that generation of Mm -hmm. like my mom's getting told she wasn't worth a lot and how that attachment process affected her and how it didn't have to be my story as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's great healing right there. Yeah. Um, and you can let that go and not feel like it's your fault. Ugh, that's such a way and off. Yeah. It, yeah. It was huge. And I feel like that I see that a lot with my clients. Like there's mm-hmm. like this generation and then it stops here. Mm-hmm. And then I think because I heard the, the the podcast with you and Birdie, I wanted to become certified and I wanted to help other women and look at all the different ways women are affected. And so women aren't going to, or moms, I should say, aren't going to like three different people to get help and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. bounced around and feeling like they're, you know, like you said, they're crazy or they're alone. And yeah, I just... It's it's frustrating. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm glad you're specializing now because it, it is that we need so many more people who really know. It's not that, yeah, can't just have a kid and then help other people who've had kids. There's so many nuances yeah. to this transition in life and it's a major life transition. Just e- even without previous trauma um, or right. previous attachment issues, it's, it's, it's beautiful and, and very difficult. Yeah. So in all of your learning about how your, your past and your history was impacting you. Through this journey, I also feel like mama's groups and being with other moms was hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. Hearing their stories and just being with them and knowing that I wasn't alone struggling in it. Sure. Different moms had 
you know, different things going on in their, their situation. Maybe they didn't get along with their mother-in-law or maybe they had a colic baby or their husbands were not helpful or, you know, whatever it may be, like we might've came from different stances or different issues, but just knowing that we all collectively were struggling was really helpful. Cause you never know. You can see a mom that's really like put together and looks really great and has like these little baby lunches that look, (laughs) you know, amazing. Like she's got all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when she opens up, she's like, this is really hard. And you're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard for all of us. Not just mm-hmm. the mom that looks like a hot mess like me. <laughs> We're all like struggling and it just, it makes it more, um, I don't know, like we're all in the same, same playing playground or playing field. Yeah. That's incredibly helpful. It's already so isolating. Just the physicality of it being home alone, mostly, you know, with a kid and you're just in your head with stuff too. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad you found that resource is helpful for you. Yeah. And social media and all that doesn't help because they're like, oh, motherhood is, is gorgeous and amazing. And it's like, we all have stories and it, it, it is amazing and it's beautiful. And, but it's also, it can also be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you read a ton of stuff, listened to podcasts and, and joined some mom's groups and, and, how did your own journey of connecting to your son, how did that play out or how is it playing out? Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he is really a t- um, like emotional kid. Mm. So I think part of it was just kind of acknowledging he's, he's just one of those kids that does need to be held all the time, that it wasn't in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, yeah, because I would see all these other kids just, individually hanging out and independently doing their thing. And meanwhile, my kid was like, I cannot be without you. And I thought I was doing that mm-hmm. to him, mm-hmm. blaming myself. And I think I would, I'm sure I would have been like that as a kid too, if I was allowed to. Mm. So then just kind of re rewriting that story for me, saying, instead of saying like, I did this to my child, making him like really independent on me saying I'm allowing my child to be the child he needs to be and I'm Mm -hmm. open to loving him and holding him and giving him what he needs yeah lovely and I imagine healing for you too yeah Mm -hmm. it totally yeah because yeah it shows me like again that I'm breaking the cycle of this generation that Mm -hmm. can be loving and supporting and he's, you know, he's four now and he's, he's such a mama's boy and he mm-hmm. cuddles and holds me and we always have to hold hands. And sometimes it's a bit much for me because I've grown up with no touch and now yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, I have to change my ways a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's adorable. He's, yeah, he's just, he's a sensitive kid. I, he's, he's all about motions. He's, He's definitely, you know, he, when he gets mad, he's like, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And then when he's done being angry, he's like, I feel better now. And I'm like, all right, that's good. You can have your feelings. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. So. It's, a, it's amazing how sometimes if you're open to it and, you know, obviously in the right frame of mind to some extent, how your own healing can come through reparenting yourself through your child. It's just... Yeah phenomenal um, personal work, but it's also, like you said, generational work um, Mm -hmm. to show up in ways that you weren't shown up for. And not that you have to be a perfect parent at all. As a matter of fact, you don't have to be, but those pieces of healing where you are, are kind of realizing what you needed and can give, give it. And 
and ideally also hopefully get it where you need to as an adult. Right. Yeah. Really amazing healing. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. So yeah. In, in all of this, when did you shift from like CPS type work to working with uh, moms? When I had him, yeah, I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it stopped immediately. <laughs> yeah. It was like nine day. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing that moms can do that work, but it's and it's definitely needed work, but it's it's not for me. Yeah, I mean that, that's it's very intense and can be traumatizing in and of itself for sure. Yeah. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah so you you started you started down the path and now what are you doing with your career now? I have private practice. It's called womanhood counseling. You know, predominantly women I serve, and I work with mostly not all, but like I work with quite a bit of moms, perinatal perspective, and yeah, that's fantastic. So you've you've been through quite a lot, and um, as you know, as a, a therapist and us therapists know like healing doesn't end. It's a, it's a continual process and we're always learning things about ourselves. I'm thinking right now of, you know, people who are listening to this in particular women or, or birthing people who have had a traumatic early experiences like this with attachment and who may be pregnant now or are having their own children right now. What would you say to them in terms of, you know, what, what got you through? What, what do you wish you would have known? Yeah. Anything like that that you can, can offer? Yeah, I would say definitely you're not alone. There's, there's always a community out there that understands what you're going through and that there's no shame. Like when people die of suicide, it, there's, there's no shame. We should start ending that, that stigma. And it's, it's complicated. It's hard. And if you, as a person, know somebody who's has a friend or a mom or anybody, especially now as the rate of suicide, unfortunately, is going up, it's okay to, to feel awkward if someone shares that information with you, but you, to hold space, you know, it's okay to own your own feelings, but to hold space for that. And Oh, great. It, so you're, you're talking about for, for the people who are left, kind of left behind, so to speak, mm-hmm. after someone has died from suicide, then that, that they, ideally, they don't have shame. Right. Right. And yeah, and for moms who have, you know, parents or friends or someone who's, you know, in their life that experienced it, it's okay. And to know that you can, you know, you don't have to walk that journey or if it comes up for you, it's okay that there's people out there you can talk to. And while motherhood, it's hard. You don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And certainly like the conversation that we're having today is, you know, from the, 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 the daughter of someone who died by suicide's perspective. And we're not talking about like a mom who is like is pregnant or postpartum and they, they themselves are having suicidal thoughts. There's still plenty of support for those people right now out there, those moms out there who are, who are currently suffering. Your, your history of this, of dealing with the chronic suicidal behaviors uh, and attempts of your mom have this lasting impact. And, you know, suicide in general does have a lasting impact on people, you know, in many, many, many ways. And it's, it's so complicated, especially with this transition into motherhood. 
So I'm glad you're shedding light on this for people. And I, I know there are so many listeners out there who had very, very complicated relationships with their parents and are trying to sort that out and who may or may not have parents who are alive right now, either, you know, for any number of reasons, natural causes or not. And so for you to come and share this with us means a whole lot to me. And I know for those who are listening too. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate this. Thank you, Jamie, for coming on. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Jamie, for sharing your story. I know there are a lot of people out there that can resonate with difficult childhoods and how that might have impacted their transition into parenthood. And sometimes hearing other people's stories, you can start to piece together parts of your own. So for those of you who are realizing that maybe your own childhood has impacted your transition into parenthood, please do know that there is help available. Putting together the pieces of these puzzles can be incredibly relieving. As usual, I will offer postpartum.net, Postpartum Support International, as a resource for anybody who is looking for support through pregnancy, birth, loss, or postpartum. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please do subscribe so that you can get every episode downloaded directly to you when it comes out. I appreciate you being with us and hope that if any of these episodes resonate for you or for somebody that you know, please do share. When people know that they're not alone and that there are resources that can help them, they have more hope. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.